You're listening to audio from New King Church. If you'd like to get our weekly sermons, hit subscribe. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit newkingchurch.com. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Am I on? Okay. (laughs) Welcome to New King Church. I am Tiffany. It's nice to have you this morning. Um, I'm going to read our scripture passage this morning. You can remain standing to honor God's word. And when I finish, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying thanks be to God. Our reading this morning comes from James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Gracious King, we rejoice in your goodness and in your presence with us. We ask that you would come As we draw near to you, we pray that you would draw near to us. God, I pray that this morning your word would be received not as the word of man, but as the very word of God. God, I pray that our hearts would be open and laid bare before you, that you would do with us and in us as you will, that your kingdom would come here this morning um, to earth just as it is in heaven. God, I pray this morning that the weak would be strengthened, that the idle would be admonished, that the faint-hearted would be encouraged. And God, above all, I pray that you would supply what is lacking in our faith, that um, we would be a people that trusts you wholeheartedly, that walks in all your ways, and just relies completely on you to do the work that you want done here on the earth um, through us, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would be greatly glorified this morning. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome, everybody. Glad to have you. If you um, are new here, if you're a guest with us, welcome. Uh, We are so glad to have you. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to be really digging into the Bible this morning. Uh, Slip your hand up, and we have people in the back with Bibles, and we will come by there and and, uh, give you one of ours to use. And actually, if you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that home with you and you can keep that. That's our gift to you. Um, If you brought your Bible, go ahead and open up to James 1. That's where we're going to be hanging out, mostly looking at this passage that Tiffany just read for us. James is a Amazing book of the Bible. Uh, I love the book of James. I'm excited about this new series, which we started last week. Michael introduced this series uh, for us and laid the groundwork and gave us some context and um, talked about the fact that this is a letter written to uh, believers who have been dispersed. And so these are believers who are going through some trials. Um, and James is writing to them in order to encourage them in their trial. And he's telling them that they, um, they can count it joy 
actually, as they go through trials of various kinds, and he gives them a reason for that. He tells them that the reason they can count it joy is because as they go through trials of various kinds, their faith is going to be tested, and the testing of their faith is actually going to produce steadfastness in them, and then that steadfastness in them is going to end up producing maturity in them. The way that he says it is um, they will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. You know, all of us want that. We all want to be steadfast in our trials. We all want to be that perfect and complete person that's lacking in nothing. Um, But if we're honest, we don't really love the trials that get us there, right? So if you're like me, you probably pray, you know, God, mature me, make me into the person that you want me to be, and, and take me out of this trial that is making me into the person that you want me to be. <laughs> right? I mean, I think that like, you know, half of my prayers are, God, make me into the person you want me to be, and half of, maybe more than half, probably 90% of my prayers are, please take me out of this trial. <laughs> right? But when we have right perspective, we will recognize that God is doing a lasting work. These short days that we live, this is just but a breath, a vapor compared to eternity. And we are being made into something glorious with our trials. So James has told us who he wants us to be. He said, "Ah, I, I want you to be a person who is steadfast in trials and who is perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. And in this passage this morning that we're looking at, James has also told us who he's hopeful that we are not. Um, He's hopeful that, verse 8, we are not a double-minded person that's unstable in all of our ways. And if, if we understand what James is saying there, we would easily see that's clearly not who we want to be. We don't want to be double-minded, wavering back and forth between faith and unbelief, between stability and instability, between commitment and falling away, between hot and cold. That's not who we want to be. We do not want to be unstable in all of our ways. And so what we're going to learn this morning is going to help us with that. So pray with me one more time, and then we will jump in. Father, God, would you do some miracles today? There are, there are so many people in this room who've come with so many different things going on in, in our lives. Different needs, different struggles, um, different questions. God, and you are an infinite God, able to do an infinite number of things in a room like this. So Holy Spirit, we, we say that we need you. We ask you to come and do work in our hearts that would last. Lord, we don't want to flash in the pan. We want, we want change that lasts a lifetime. We believe you can do that. We ask you to do that through the simple preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. All right, let's look at 
um, verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, remember what he just said. He said that trials will produce steadfastness, which, when it has its full effect, will leave you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom. In the meantime, before you're perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, you're going to find that you're lacking in some things. You're going to find that you are lacking in wisdom over and over and over again. And our trials in particular um, bring this to the surface. As we go through trials of various kinds, whether they're financial or with depression or sickness or relational trials, whatever those trials might be, they're going to expose our lack. And one of the the things that is exposed through trials is our lack of wisdom. We don't understand. We don't understand what God's doing. We don't understand why he's doing it. We don't understand why he's doing it the way he's doing it. And we see that we are not mature. We are not perfect and complete, lacking in nothing yet. We are lacking, and in particular, we are lacking in wisdom. And James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, there's something you can do. Now, I think it's really important, though, that first things come first, and that is that we've got to recognize that we lack wisdom. And if you're like me, so many times I get, I, I get in the middle of my trial, and I'm, I'm dealing with my trial, and it's been days, weeks, I've been going through something, and then suddenly I realize, oh, I probably should ask God for some wisdom about this thing that I'm going through. Right? I probably shouldn't try and rely on my own wisdom in this thing, right? Um, I mean, how many times do we do that? How many times do we rely on ourselves first, and then once we fail, once we come up short, we go, oh, yeah, God, oh, if, if you could help me out. First things first, we've got to recognize our need. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to go start my car, and my car wouldn't start. I mean, nothing, not a, not a, not nothing coming from it. And I knew that my battery wasn't the issue because everything's turning on. It's just, it wouldn't start. And so I thought, I will solve this problem. And uh, so, you know, put new uh, spark plugs in there. First time I've ever done that, felt real proud of myself. YouTube. It's amazing what you, <laughs> amazing what you can figure out on YouTube. And, and, and I was like, all right, I got some grease on my hands. Did this, and I went to start it. Nothing. Nothing. And I was so defeated. And, you know, I went, went inside and uh, I'm texting some folks and saying, hey, not going to be able to make it to the meeting, early morning meeting, no car. Tiff's going to be gone with hers, can't use the, hers. And um, one of the people I was meeting with is Aaron. Aaron texts me back and he says, go lay your hands on the hood and pray for it to start. 
And I'm like, okay, I probably should have done that. Probably should have, probably should have prayed before I fixed the car. Uh, so I put the phone down. I walked outside. I put my hands on the hood, and I said, all right. And I'm picturing, you know, this thing is, this is a piece of creation, right? It's, it's made up of stuff that we took from the earth and we turned it into this machine that, that drives us around. And so it's a piece of creation. And I'm thinking about how we've been given dominion over the earth. And I'm like, okay. And I said, you piece of creation. <laughs> you piece of creation be fixed in Jesus' name. And I got in the car, and I went to crank it, and, it's, and it went, boo, boo, boo. And I went, oh, okay, you heard me. <laughs> I said, okay, close. I said, be fixed in Jesus' name. And I went to crank it again, and this time I went, boo, 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 boo. And I was like, okay, you're almost there. I said, God, you see what I'm trying to do here? Help me out. I said, be fixed in Jesus' name. And I tried one more time, and that thing started up. And, and here's the cool thing. It hadn't had a, a single problem since. I didn't have to go take it to a mechanic. It's, it's, it's working every day for weeks now. You know, how often do we try and do things in our own strength first, and then when we fail, we go, oh, yeah, God, if you could help me out, that'd be great. Man, we need to recognize our need. That's the first step. That is the first step. Recognize our need. Recognize that we need wisdom. And so James starts out, if any of you lacks wisdom, we, we show that we don't recognize our need when we say, I've got this, right? We show our pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The Proverbs testify over and over and over again the need to see your need for wisdom to start with and that that is where a wise person is built. Starting with their need to see, starting with their recognizing their own need for wisdom. And then he goes on, he says, if any of us lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask God. So, first of all, I think we oftentimes don't realize we have a need for wisdom in the first place. And second of all, I don't think we realize who we are invited to to ask for wisdom. We are invited to ask the reigning and ruling God of the universe for wisdom, who happens to be all-knowing. He happens to already know everything. He happens to know the end from the beginning. The theological term for this is he is omniscient. 1 John 3.20 says, Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. He knows everything. This God that we have been invited to ask for.
for wisdom. Do you think he knows what you need to know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, but, but is he paying any attention to me? I mean, does he, does he care about my situation? Does he care about my car that won't start or the money that keeps running out or the way I'm being treated at work or what somebody said about me on Facebook? Does he care about these things? Does he care about a cold that, that's got me down in the dumps? Does he care about my fight with depression? Does he care about this addiction? Does he care? I mean, I know he knows everything. Psalm 139, verse 2 says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. He sees you. He sees every time you sit down and every time you stand up. He sees every bite of food you eat, every text you send. He sees every thought you think. He is watching you. He knows you intimately. This God knows the wisdom that you need, and he is watching you. He is intimately acquainted with your ways. It says, who gives generously to all without reproach. He gives generously. He doesn't give a little. He is a God of abundance. He's a God of abundance. I, I've, I've thought so much about this recently in, in regards to the feeding of the multitudes. Jesus did this twice. One time he feeds a crowd of 5,000, another time uh, it's 5,000 men, so probably a crowd of 15 to 20, 25,000 people. Um, and then another time, uh, 4,000 men, so huge crowds of people. And both times he does it with a little bit of lunch, with a, with a few loaves and some fishes. And at the end, they take up baskets full God is a God of abundance. He is a God who has more than we need always. He loves to give generously. It says in that story that people were filled. They were full. And then there were the baskets left over. Why did he do that? You think that was a miscalculation on his part? No. He's making a point. I am a generous giver. I'm a God of abundance. He is generous when we ask for wisdom. And it says he gives to all without reproach. What does that mean? That means that he doesn't give to you with some objection in his heart. He doesn't give to you like this. Fine, because you kept asking. He doesn't look at, look at you and say, really, you again? You need wisdom again? Seriously? But don't we sometimes picture that that's how God deals with us? No, that's not how he deals with us. When we ask for wisdom, he goes, yes, thank you. I know you need wisdom. I saw this all along. It took you long enough. I've got plenty to give. Here you go. Here's wisdom. And, I, and he gives without reproach. He gives gladly. He gives with a smile on his face. 
He gives in such a way that it makes you want to come back and ask for more. That's the kind of God he is. So do we recognize that this is the God that we're being invited to ask for wisdom? He's a God who is omniscient. He knows everything. He's a God who is intimately acquainted with our ways. He's watching every, every time you sit down, every time you rise up. He knows your thoughts. He knows your fears. He is a generous God. He has an infinite amount of supply of everything, including wisdom. And so he never is like, you know, I've got a little bit left that I can spare you. And he gives without reproach. He gives with a smile on his face. Do we, do we know who we're being invited to ask? Next, do we ask with the confidence that he will answer? Do we ask with the confidence that he will answer? It says, verse 5, it will be given him. Will be given him. This is a promise, beloved. The scriptures are full of promises. And what the Bible teaches is that when we come across a promise, we can take it to the bank. We can bet our lives upon that promise. He will not go against his promises. He binds himself to his promises. It will be given him. So there is certainty in this. But there is a condition. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Okay? So there's a condition here. He says, you've got to ask a certain way. What is faith? What is faith? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. Okay? So James says there's a certain way that you must ask in order for this promise to be fulfilled. The promise is wisdom will be given, but... There's a certain way that it must be asked for, and that is with faith, in faith, with no doubting. Look at that. Look at that wording. With no doubting. Notice it doesn't say with minimal doubting. Notice it doesn't say with just a little bit of doubting. It says with no doubting. In other words, even a little doubting is unbelief. It's no longer asking with faith when we doubt. I've noticed that it has become popular among some Christians to almost celebrate their doubts, talk about their doubts as, the, as, as if this was a virtuous thing, because I'm being so real, just being so real. Um, and, you know, and, and, and so it's become like a good thing to talk about your doubts. And what's maybe the heart behind it initially was let's not be fake and let's not let's 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 acknowledge when we when we doubt. OK, fine, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. But what it's turned into is making peace with your doubts. 
Like, I've got these doubts, and you know what? Everybody else does too, so it's no big deal. Well, when I read the Scriptures, yes, it is a big deal. It's a really big deal. When I read the Gospels, it's a huge deal. It comes up over and over and over again. We'll get to that in just a minute. Doubting is the absence of faith. And so I'm not saying pretend like you don't have doubts or put on some kind of a show. What I'm saying is don't make peace with your doubts. Recognize that your doubts are unbelief, and unbelief is wicked. Yeah. I mean, that's what the Bible says. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong, guys. I mean, this is the testimony of all of Scripture. It says the Israelites did not enter into the promised land because of their disobedience. And then the very next verse, therefore we see that the Israelites did not enter because of their unbelief. The unbelief. Unbelief leads to disobedience. All disobedience is rooted in unbelief. Doubts are not something to be made peace with. There's something to fight. There's something to go after. I mean, this was Paul's perspective. He says in 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of the faith. I think one of the ways that unbelief creeps into a lot of Christians' lives, and this is what I've experienced, is we don't recognize we don't recognize unbelief when it comes in. Because maybe we, we label it just discouragement. But what is discouragement? It's the absence of courage. Right? Discouragement. It's the absence. It's an absence of courage. And so we say, oh, I'm just feeling discouraged. And then we don't recognize, there's no alarm bells, there's no red flags going, hey, warning, this is a lack of faith. Fight this. Fight this. Discouragement creeps in and we, we make peace with it. Doubts creep in and we make peace with it. And God understands. It's not, that he, it's not that he's mad at us, but he doesn't want us to make peace with these things. He wants us to fight. Fight these, these, these things. Listen, listen to Matthew 14, 28 through 31. Jesus is walking on water. Most of you have heard the story. He's walking on water across the Sea of Galilee. Peter sees him walking on the water and says to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. That is nuts. That's crazy. That's amazing. He walked on the water. But listen, when he saw the wind... He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Jesus doesn't say to him, Hey, let's, let's talk about your doubts. It's cool that you're admitting those. He's like, Why? Why did you doubt? You're walking on water with me and you got distracted. Why did you doubt? You see, 
he took his eyes off of Jesus, and he put his eyes on the wind. And look, I'm, I'm not judging the guy. I would have done the same thing. But I'm just saying. He, he, he looks at the wind and the waves, and he sees those things, and that's what his focus goes to. And all of a sudden, his confidence is lost because his focus is lost. Our doubts are an absence of faith, and we must recognize the danger of doubts and fight against them. The next question I want us to ask ourselves is, do we realize how insane unbelief is? And I want to explain what I mean by that. Listen to what James says, verses 6, 7, and 8. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I wonder if James was thinking about Peter walking on the water when he wrote this. Think about that. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I want us to see how insane unbelief is. Doubting God will give you wisdom when you have just asked him for wisdom is double-mindedness. To say, okay, God, I need some wisdom. Would you give me wisdom? And then later on to, to question whether or not he's actually going to answer that prayer or even in the moment to question whether or not he's even going to answer the prayer that you're asking is double-mindedness. And James wants us to see the instability in this. He wants us to see that this will lead us to be the kind of person that is unstable in all of our ways, in all of our life. It will lead to instability. What do we call it when someone is unstable? We call it insanity. The definition of insanity is to be mentally disordered, a state of mind which prevents normal perception. Normal perception. Okay. So, insanity is a state of mind which keeps us from being able to have a right perception of reality. Unbelief is a state of mind which prevents us from having a right perception of reality. Unbelief is not imagining some, you know, thing that isn't real. It's believing in what actually is real. You following me? To have faith in any given situation is to believe the truth, despite what we might see with our eyes. It's to believe what's really true, even if our eyes betray us, and they will, which is why the Bible says we walk not by sight, but by faith. Look at how Jesus saw unbelief. Mark 6, 5 and 6. Jesus is in his own hometown, and here's what it says. It says, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled. Now, in all of the scriptures, there are only two times that we have record of where Jesus marveled. One time is 
when he encounters this centurion, and this centurion has greater faith than any Israelite that he's ever met. And he says, and it says that he marveled. He marveled at that man's faith. And then this is the other time, the only other time. How do you make the Son of God marvel? Well, either with great faith or with unbelief. And in this instance, he was blown away by their unbelief. He marveled. He was astonished. He was filled with awe at their unbelief. Why? Because he is the Savior, and he's come to them in the flesh, and he is presenting to them an opportunity to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and they missed it, and he marveled. How did they miss it? Their perception of reality was off, was skewed. They looked at Jesus and just saw a man. Was that true? Was that, there, was that right? Were they right? No. Their perception of reality was off because of unbelief. Unbelief skews our perception of reality. We begin to call what is darkness light and what is light darkness. We begin to run from the God that made us and loves us and cares for us. We begin to rebel against this God. We begin to worship created things instead of the Creator who made it all. I mean, it makes us insane. It makes us unable to see reality. And then we cannot hold to the promises of Scripture. Right? The promises of Scripture tell us such wonderful things and the Bible says that God works all things together for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And when we have unbelief in us, we see things like canceled flights and delays in our day and the things that, that messed up our plans. And we cannot see that God is actually using all of it together for our good. We can't see that He's providing for us. We can't see that He is working in our lives. We ask for wisdom and we miss his answer. He speaks to us through another believer or through our quiet time that next day or through whatever. And we just miss it. And we go, well, you don't ever answer my prayers, God. We don't believe, so we don't see. The last question I want to ask us is, do we realize that faith opens the way for grace to come into our lives? Faith opens the way for grace. Listen to what James says in verse 7 there. That person, the person who doubts, must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Why would James say that? That's, that's such a dogmatic statement, James. Why put it that way? That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And the reason is because the testimony of Scripture time and time again is that faith was required to bring God's grace into 
our lives. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the conduit through which grace comes. Think of a lamp, okay? A lamp sitting here with the cord hanging down and and going nowhere, it's got no power. It's impotent. It's got no power. It can do nothing. But as soon as I plug that plug into an outlet, all of a sudden, this voltage runs through that cord, and then this light pops on. Now, is there any power just in the lamp? No. The power is coming from another source. The power is coming from another source, and it needs the cord as a conduit to bring the power to it. Well, we're the same way. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. When we're cut off from him, we're just like that lamp that's not plugged in. We can do nothing. We have no power. So what do we need? We need to plug in to the source. How do we do that? Through faith. That's why the Bible says, apart from faith, it is impossible to please him. Hebrews eleven six. Apart from faith, it's impossible to please him. Why? Because you can't please him in your own power. You actually need to plug in to his source of limitless power so that his power can flow through you so that you can do the works that he's called you to do and you can please him. Well, the same is true in this instance when we ask for wisdom. When we ask for wisdom, we've got to ask with faith. We have to have the conduit of faith so that the grace of wisdom can come to our lives. Just like the grace of salvation comes into our lives as we believe with faith upon the Son of God, upon Jesus. Does that make sense? And so it's true all through the Gospels. If you are intrigued by this, read the Gospels and take note of this. I've I've got a few little places here. One of them that we already read, Mark 6, 5 through 6, he could do no mighty work there. Why? Because of their unbelief. It says it plainly in Matthew 13, 58, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Their unbelief shut off his ability to do mighty works. I wonder how many times God would look in our lives and say, I could do no mighty work there because of your unbelief. Or how many churches God would look at and say, I could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Matthew eight thirteen. it says to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. Let it be done for you as you have believed. What if, what if we were to stand before God and say, God, how come I don't see you doing more in my life? And he said to us, I have done as you have believed. Just as you have believed. Mark five thirty four. He says to this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Is there any power in faith? in and of itself? 
No. It's like the cord. You cut a cord off of a lamp, there's no power in that thing. What? Why does he say your faith has made you well? Because her faith connected her to the power of God. It was a conduit so that the power of God could flow to her. One more example from the Gospels, Matthew 21, 18 through 22. Matthew 21, 18 through 22. It says, In the morning, as he, as Jesus, was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. If you have faith. This is the testimony of the Gospels again and again and again and again. And if you just take a quick, trip through those Gospels, and you mark in there every time you see this, you're going to be blown away. Faith is required to receive God's power, God's grace. And so when we ask, when we ask for wisdom, we've got to believe without doubting that He will grant it. So, in conclusion, I want to if, if, if we've seen that to receive wisdom, we need faith, and faith is sanity, it's seeing rightly, and it's stability and steadfastness through trials, and unbelief is insanity and instability, and double-mindedness, and it's being tossed to and fro by every clip that pops up on Facebook, some preacher that's preaching a prosperity gospel, or tossed here and there by every trial that we go through, or tossed here and there by every idea that a friend throws our way? How do we get grounded? We need more faith. How do we get more faith? That's what I want to leave us with, just really quickly. Number one, we need to ask for more faith. Faith is a gift. We need to ask for it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not, as a, res- not a result of work, so that no one may boast. We need more faith, so we need to ask for more faith. We say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. There's parts of me that don't quite believe. So help me. Help me to believe. Ask. Believe that he's a generous giver with an endless supply and he does not give begrudgingly. Secondly, feed your faith with the word of God. Feed your faith. Your faith needs to be fed. Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How does faith come? Through hearing how do we hear? 
the word, the word of Christ. Feed your faith and it will grow strong. Feed yourself on what the world offers you and your faith will grow so weak. Feed on the word. And then thirdly, fight against unbelief of all kinds. Again, as I quoted earlier, 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Fight against every doubt, every discouragement, every ounce of despair. Fight against it. Don't accept it. Go to the word of God. Look for promises that contradict the lies that you're hearing. Go to the word and feed. Ask God from your knees, give me more faith. I need more faith. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. What does that mean? That means every time a thought enters into your consciousness which does not agree with truth, you take that thing captive. And you say, I refuse to listen to that thought. I reject that thought in Jesus' name. That is not true. So we fight unbelief. This morning, if you've never turned to Jesus and you've never trusted him, you've never started a relationship with him, I want to invite you to do that. We said earlier that this is a church that exists to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you're trying to just see what this is all about and you're going, man, I, I think I want what, what they're talking about. I think I want that. Well, let me invite you to begin a relationship with God. And the Bible says that we were all in sin. We have all gone our own way. We have all rebelled against God's way. And that our sin, our rebellion, separates us from relationship with God, from our Creator. And so God did something to deal with that. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and live on this earth as a man, still fully God, but fully man. And He lived on the earth a sinless life, a perfect life in our place. The life that we should live but cannot, he lived. And then he went to the cross in our place. The reason he went to the cross was because there was a payment that needed to be paid for our rebellion and for our sin. And so he went to the cross and our sin nailed him to that cross. Your sin, my sin, is what held him to that cross. And he died in our place. He took our sin upon himself, the punishment for our sin. He fully absorbed and paid. And he died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And he offers forgiveness and new life for all who would turn to him and trust him. Amen? Many of us in this room have done that. But if you haven't done that yet, Listen, today is the day of salvation. Today, you could have your sins forgiven, wiped out. You could start fresh, and you could begin a relationship with God. And if you've been on the fence, I just want to invite you on over. Take a step of faith. 
Turn away from your sin and rebellion against God and believe on his son, and he will give you life. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and that's you and you say, okay, I want that. I want to follow Jesus. I want to turn to him away from my own sin and rebellion. I want to follow. Then you could pray something like this. There's no magic prayer, no magic words. But you could pray something like this. God, I now see that I'm a sinner and that I have gone my own way. And I believe that Jesus died for me and that he rose from the grave. And I want to turn from living life for myself and doing life my way. And I want to I follow you and I want to trust in Jesus. And if you do that and if you mean it, the Bible says that you will be forgiven. And the Bible says you will receive the Holy Spirit inside you. He will come and live inside you and begin to dwell in you and help you to walk in his ways. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this book of James and the things that we're learning. And God, we, we want more faith. We want to start living life the way that we were really intended to live it, the way that Jesus lived it. The life that doesn't live bound by our logic necessarily, but that we can see things that are possible because of you being at work. God, would you increase our faith and where we lack wisdom, when we're going through hard things, God, for those that are in this room right now, they're going through something really hard and they need wisdom. Would you grant them wisdom? Help them to have the faith to ask you with no doubting that you will answer. God, would you just pour out on us a fresh dose of faith right now as we worship you and respond to what we've heard. In Jesus' name, amen.